My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On this episode of Just a Mom, I'm having a conversation between myself and my husband, Dan Gurley. I thought it would be more interesting for the listener to hear both of our perspectives of raising our son, Will, who suffers from depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Hi, Dan. Hi, Susie. Thank you for being here today. It's great to be here. I'm going to start by asking you a question, and you can answer it, and then if you feel like it, you can ask me any questions, and we'll just have a conversation back and forth about our parenting journey. Sounds like a good plan. Why don't you talk a little bit about our family? So our family consists of you and me as husband and wife. We have three children. Jeff is 24. He is married about a year ago to a lovely woman named Madison. Uh, We have a daughter, Olivia, who was recently married to a wonderful young man named Nick. And our youngest son, Will, uh, is a college sophomore, um, and he is the one that has struggled with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Think back with me for a little bit. Uh, What was kind of the first clue or the first signs that Will was struggling mental health-wise? I think the first thing I remember, I believe he had somewhat of an anxiety attack. And I don't remember if we were out or just ended up walking outside, but he was sitting on top of our brick mailbox out front in a really bad state of mind. And I think we were pretty unprepared and didn't really know what we were seeing. We realized that that wasn't right. We realized that finding him some help with that was probably a good idea. But uh, as I recall, we really wanted to make sure the uh, whatever counselor or therapist we started with was going to be you know, well-vetted, somebody who shared our worldview and that we felt confident using. And so we didn't jump into um, getting him help right away, which in retrospect, you know, maybe that wasn't the best move. But also in retrospect, we found a fantastic counselor uh, when the time occurred. That's true. And I I remember that night very well, too, because I would have said the exact same thing you did. We'd been playing golf, I remember, and he'd been at a friend's house and they brought him home and he was sitting on that mailbox, on our mailbox when we got home. And he couldn't tell us what he was feeling. He, you know, later it would appear as though he was having some kind of an anxiety or a panic attack. But he he didn't have anything to say, and he wasn't sure what he was feeling. And I, I remember being very worried, but then, you know, again, like you said, we didn't immediately hop into action to find help. We kind of started looking around. So, But I do agree with you. It was a good thing that we found a, an amazing therapist 
After the whole mailbox incident, then what happened? I think we went on kind of business as usual. We had in the back of our mind that, you know, Will was struggling a little bit, but he was a teenager. He was in middle school. It seemed like middle school stuff. And I don't think the red flags really flew up for us. Um, You know, stayed involved with him, spent time with him, you know, did what we had done with all three of our children and, you know, just expected that the, you know, the same ways that we had uh, parented our children to this point were going to be successful with him. And it was maybe a short month later that I got that dreaded phone call when we were on our 25th anniversary trip um, in Sedona. And I got the call from the principal that said, I've got Will here with me. And he emailed the counselor at school and said, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm harming myself. And I remember sitting there in that hotel room, not even knowing what to think and just being completely shocked. What do you remember about that day? Yeah, it was blindsiding. You know, you know, looking back, maybe there was that panic attack thing that we should have uh, paid a little more attention to, paid any attention to, really. Um, but yet to find out our kid was hurting himself. Uh, as the story progresses, we found out he'd been cutting, um, which, you know, again, that was really convicting as a parent that you spend all this time with this child and you think you know him well, you think you know him inside and out. And turns out he's been hiding these, you know, cut scars on his arm that somehow either one of us had seen. That was very difficult. And then it, it just got more difficult because we came back and we were able to get into this fabulous therapist pretty quickly. And I remember we took him there, and she spent a couple of hours with Will, and then she called us back into the room and said, you know, your son is clinically depressed, I believe, and I think you need to call a physician um, because she couldn't prescribe medications. Only physicians can do that. And then you made a phone call. Yeah, thankfully, we had a, uh, you know, a friend who's a psychiatrist and uh, was able to reach out to him, and he was willing to jump right into action and see Will uh, basically immediately and um, concurred with the diagnosis that Will was, uh, had you know, major depression and anxiety and that he had suicidal ideation and self-harm concerns. And you know, thankfully, we were able to see him right away and started the whole process of of care, but it was pretty, it was quite a gut punch to just see that all unfold so quickly, or what seemed to be so quickly to us. Up until that point, and it had only been a few days since we'd gotten the counselor call, but up until that point, we didn't really know that he was ideating suicide. Oh, we had no idea. Right, yeah. You know, that night after those two long appointments and we're listening to the doctor and the therapist tell us these things and, you know, he's ideating suicide. I just remember being so completely 
dumbfounded that I had no idea that this was going on. And this is our youngest child. Yeah. It's not like we've not, you know, parented teens before. Right. And you were a stay-at-home mom. I was the coach. We were around these kids a lot. It wasn't that we were running all over the place, leaving them to their own devices. I mean, we felt like we knew them well, knew him well, knew all of our kids well, and, and knew what was going on in their lives. So this was a huge smack in the face that, that we had missed what was going on in his life, that we had missed the cutting, we had missed all these things that he was feeling. Um, yeah, that was really damning to realize, despite what we thought was, you know, we were doing an okay job, that we just missed it all. It's even hard to talk about that five years later, just to think about those feelings, because I don't know about you, but even doing this when talking to people and asking these questions, I don't always put myself in the position of where we were a little over five years ago in those offices, getting those medications, making those appointments, those initial days of that, and how, ugh, I mean, I think about it right now and I, my stomach just starts to knot up. It's interesting. You talk about five years ago today on uh, like a photo memory on my phone. It was Will's first day of school picture five years ago. Mm. And he had that Hmm. just scared, vacant, unhappy uh, look. He had braces so he wouldn't smile and show his teeth. He just his whole attitude and demeanor and, and even his appearance was not the vibrant, happy-go-lucky kid that we had always known. And to look at that now mm. was, uh, yeah, that was hard hard to look at. Mm-hmm. But I did I did send Will a text today, and I said, I'm so proud of all the work mm. you have done and the places you have grown in the last five years, and I'm really proud of you. And um, he acknowledged it and said thank you. But, uh, you know, it's thankfully it's, you know, he has made great strides. He's a much different kid than he was at that point in those in that picture. And that picture was obviously in August, as we know it's August right now. And all of this activity of, oh, your kid is cutting and suicidal ideating and all this stuff happened at the beginning of May. So between May and August, he went to therapy multiple times a week. He ended up in in intensive outpatient therapy at the request of the psychiatrist. He, The psychiatrist even talked about putting him inpatient, but because I was able to be with him all the time, he didn't. And I've talked to parents who have had children in inpatient psychiatric hospitals, um, and I've talked to those of us who haven't, and I don't know which is easier. I mean, that's all hard. You got If you're leaving your child at a hospital because he or she is suicidal, I can't imagine how that would feel. But then I think about what we did that summer to make sure that he was never alone. And that kind of largely fell on me, obviously, because I was at home all day. And I, the only times he was really alone was when he was in the bathroom. And I would sit outside the bathroom and like every 
probably five seconds, I'd just knock on the door. Will, Will, Will. I just wanted him to keep talking to me. What else do you remember about like that summer of 24-7 eagle eye on him? I remember, you know, he had kind of dwindled to a point where he didn't interact with any of his friends. And he was a kid that was always life at the party, you know, two friends over wasn't enough. He wanted seven friends over. He always was organizing games and movies and, uh, you know, he was the ringleader and he got to that point and there was nobody around and it was just Will. And, you know, we did what we had to do. We, I, I kind of joke that I was his best friend there for a year or so. Um, you know, any free moment I had where I wasn't at work, I would spend with him. Hey, let's go to the hardware store. Hey, what do you think about going to a concert? I'm going to go catch a ball game. You coming with me? And he was just my sidekick, whether or not he wanted to. You know, you had you did the lion's share of the work and had to be with him. You know, from basically sun up to sundown. And so, as soon as I was home, I would do my best to try to take over and give you a break and and give me an opportunity to spend time with him and and hopefully you know express to him that you know we care deeply about him and you know his uh his health and his happiness and his life was very important to us the other thing that really is forefront in my mind about that time is that we didn't trust him to let him sleep alone in his room so we pulled a twin mattress and set it next to my side of the bed and he slept there for several weeks. And I don't know about you, but I didn't sleep very much then. Um, I even though he was right next to me, I woke up all the time and just made sure he was there. And I don't know, I, I those days are sort of a blur because I think it was almost like having an infant again where you you know you just don't sleep and you're so tired. But we were so worried about his safety that that's what we did. And I've heard other parents who've you know, taken doors off or you know, made some other kind of arrangement where the, the, their child wasn't alone sleeping. But that was, that was one of the hardest things, I thought. Yeah, the analogy to a toddler, not that he was behaving like a toddler, but just that thought of you couldn't leave it, let him get out mm-hmm. of your sight for fear that they would hurt themselves. You know, as a toddler, you're worried about them just not having any awareness of, of risk. As a, you know, suicidal teenager, you're worried about him acting on that. And so we just watched him like a hawk. Um, we went around the house. I mean, uh, throughout their childhood, the boys and I had, you know, pocket knives and carving tools and BB guns and, in all this stuff, just kind of boy stuff that we, that we did around the house. So we had to do a, a sweep and find anything we th- that we thought might harm him. We, you know, the kitchen knives were locked away. All the medicines were locked away. You know, we just didn't want to give him any chance to make a bad decision. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he could have figured something out, but we did our darndest to, mm-hmm. to take away whatever risk we could. And he talks about what his plan was, and it's, that was so hard for me to hear. And that was the first time he actually told me what his plan was, was when I interviewed him. 
And I think, well, we did all that. And if we had left him in his room alone, he might have gone through with it. So I'm really glad that we didn't, even though I think it aged us both a little bit. (laughs) Show me a parent who hasn't been aged by their children. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) We got through that phase, and I don't remember what the day was that we decided he could go back and sleep in his room. I do remember being at the therapist with him because a lot of times he was alone. Sometimes it was all of us. But I remember being with him and expressing my concerns about letting him sleep in his room by himself and you know, Will and the therapist saying, okay, understand, but here's you know, where, where I am now, mom, I think I'm in a safer place. And that we had to decide to trust him and... That was probably even worse than him sleeping on the floor next to us, honestly. Yeah. The, um, the, the other thing I was thinking about was just not being afraid to ask him, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Do you have any thoughts about hurting yourself? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, asking those questions. Um, and I can remember saying to him once, hey, let's think of another way to ask this question are you okay? Because I know you're going to get sick of me asking this. And it, it was weird. It was something like, would you yeah. like some shrimp? I forgot about that. I think yeah. it was, would you like some shrimp? Because now I'm fine. Interesting. And just so we didn't ask the that. same mm-hmm. silly question, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you okay? Because uh, he kind of got tired of mm-hmm. all the times we asked it. But, sure. you know, it didn't matter. And, uh, you know, we weren't worried about annoying him. We were worried about right. him surviving. Yes. And, and we told him that, you know, that... I think a big part of it is having that open conversation. We're not doing this to punish you. We're doing this because we care about you. We're doing this because we want to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry, but we're going to bother you with, are you okay? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Do you have a plan? All the time. Because we have to know. Mm -hmm. And we say it because we love you. And, you know, I've talked to people that, are afraid if you ask someone about, are you going to hurt yourself or are you thinking about suicide, that you're putting ideas into their head, that you're suggesting to them that maybe they should do that. And that's so far from the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are even thinking about that question, you know, that thought's already ripe in their mind. And you asking is actually validating to them that they are hurting, that someone does care. And so... Um, I, I believe strongly that asking those questions is a really important thing for a parent to do. And depending on the answer, it could be life-saving. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was when we found out he was thinking about killing himself. Well, guess what? You're not going to be left alone. We're not going to give you the opportunity to do that right. until you get to a place medically mentally that you are not thinking about doing that. Absolutely. And I also remember during that time just feeling like I could not even breathe half of the time. And my tendency when there's a crisis, something's wrong, I hole up, which is not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing, but I did not want to tell my friends. 
We didn't tell extended family. We didn't even tell our older two kids. And I think about that now and I'm like, well, that was so stupid on our part because it's not like they didn't know. They lived here and it was summer. So our oldest son was home from college and like pretty quickly they figured out what was going on. But I felt like such a failure. I felt all of those things that, you know, the the stigma and the I'm a bad mom and this is my fault. And I think a lot of that is somewhat ingrained in our heads, but from our parents' generation, and I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm just saying I know that that generation of, of people, they, they never talked about mental health. We weren't brought up to talk about mental health. If you ever had to go to a counselor when you were you know, a teenager, you sure the heck didn't tell anybody. And to the point where that's all I could think about is this is my fault. I'm a failure. I'm a bad mom. I'm going to be judged. Did you feel like that too? Because I don't, I know we've talked a lot about how I felt. I don't have strong memories of being worried about being judged, but that's also not really who I am. Um, Susie just made a face at me. Um, <laughs> I, I was just more focused on, I, as I remember it, and I just just being worried about him and and how we were going to help him. I, you know, you know, I didn't do, go out with the guys. I didn't go play golf. I didn't, you know, do some of the yeah. stuff I would normally do in the summertime. I was like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. I'm here, period. You know, I got to work, but beyond that, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I remember focusing on. Not mm-hmm. so much any. I don't. I don't remember focusing on any shame or concern about mm. about my own stuff because you know, I felt like I'd been a been around. I'd I'd done. I'd spent time with this kid. I'd cash. I mean, you name it. Will was a project kid. He always had a project. I mean, he was going to make a movie, and so we researched how to make a movie, and you know he saved some pennies and bought a microphone to go with the, the little camcorder that we had. He was going to, you know, build a windmill and he got all these parts and made that. And, and I was always right in the middle of that and helping him. So, I mean, I, I mean, you name it, I was his basketball coach. I was his football coach. Um, you know, I was, I, I try to look back and say, you know, well, maybe I should have been more, you know, should I have been more involved? Should I have done something different? And you know, I feel like we did a lot of things right. And, you know, as, as we have the the benefit of some time to really put words to those thoughts, um, you know, that's when you kind of take the shameful, judgy side of mental health out of the equation. And you say, I think we did do a pretty good job. Our kid was sick. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody looks at a family of a kid who has cancer and says, boy, right. I wonder what their mom did wrong. Boy, if she would have been, you know. Wouldn't have been out at the tennis lessons. This kid wouldn't have got cancer. Right. But, you know, for some reason with mental health, you know, uh, we tend to be judgy about that. Mm -hmm. We tend to assign shame and blame to that. And, you know, as I look back, I think we we did a pretty good job. Obviously, we could have done a lot of things differently with all three of our kids. Sure. But I don't think the depression and the suicidal thoughts – were a response to something we did or didn't do. 
And that's, that's a lot of what the message of what we're trying to say here in this podcast is. This is a disease. It is an illness. It requires treatment. This is not something that is a repercussion for something that was done wrong. Right. When we um, were moving forward, again, he started back to school his freshman year. And he had gotten a little bit better by then. I mean, he, he was sleeping in his own room, I know, when school started. I, I honestly don't remember exactly when that happened. But he was getting a little bit better, at least in a way that he was safe sleeping in his own room. And one of the things I remember saying to you and you saying to me was anytime there was any little glimmer of the old will, we'd be like, oh my gosh, he just made a joke, or he smiled, or he did something for someone else. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the self-absorption of, you know, anyone with with, uh, depression, but particularly a teenager that's already (laughs) self-absorbed, you know, for them to... When, when you see him care about somebody other than himself or show a little bit of interest in somebody other than himself, that those were just shining star moments that, wow, he can see outside his own, his own self. That was, that was huge. And I don't want to forget to mention this, but when during the summer when he was in such bad shape at the beginning, I met with a, our youth pastor and I told him what was going on and I didn't expect anything from him. I just wanted him to know so that you know, youth group was one of the places where I felt safe sending Will because there are a lot of people around. And so he committed to me that day that he was going to spend time with Will every week. And he did. He would come pick him up. They would go bowling or play golf or do something fun or, or get some of the other guys from the youth group together. And that was such a huge thing, not only for me, because it gave me a little bit of a break, but for Will. And I think it's taken him a long time to really think about what he did for Will. And that commitment and the love and the care that he put into him throughout that summer. When I think having somebody outside the two of us Mm. spending time with them, because, you know, any teenager gets tired of their parents and and doesn't want to talk to them and doesn't want to be around them. And, you know, for a while that's all he had. Mm -hmm. But when our youth pastor, you know, committed to that, I mean, that was a break for Will, too. I mean, it was a break for us, but it was a break, for, it was a break for Will to get away from us. And, right. you know, and it was fun and it wasn't, hmm. uh, you know, I didn't have that same parental, you know, kind of lording over him, worrying so much. It was more about, you know, relationships and fun and, and getting out. And I think that was a nice, it was good for all of us. Uh, so thank you for, for doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we will ever be able to thank him enough. Moving on, he starts his freshman year. He took a class his freshman year as an elective. 
uh, for a fine arts credit. He took an intro to acting class. And he realized that he loved the theater. And it shouldn't have been any real surprise to us because like you talked about when he was younger, he was always, you know, recruiting his friends to make a movie with him and always doing things like that. So the the fact that he liked the stage and the limelight shouldn't have been such a shock, but it was. We're like, okay, well, where did this come from? So talk a little bit about that time period and what came of that. He really found his love of, uh, you know, the fine arts and and really expressing himself. Uh, I go back a little bit uh, before this time when he was doing his intensive outpatient therapy uh, that summer between uh, right before his freshman year of high school. One of the things they encouraged him to do was to express their feelings through some kind of art form, you know, be it writing or music or acting or painting or coloring or whatever it was. And, and Will started to find his voice through, uh, through writing um, and through music. And then this class, I think, allowed him to find, you know, a voice through the stage. And um, he really, you know, you started to see a real turn in his whole demeanor as he, he kind of found his voice and his way to express himself. Um, I remember, this is getting a little bit off that question, but uh, he had another class where there was some independent study involved, and uh, for his independent study, he wanted to write music because he was starting to get into that. And we got a panicked phone call from the teacher mm-hmm. saying, I just listened to the music that Will turned in, and you got to hear this. And it was about rage and pain and I don't know if it was about death, but it was just really, really dark, mm-hmm. very angry. And, uh, and we both were like, oh, my gosh, what, what do we have here? We thought mm-hmm. we were making progress. Right. And so we kind of ran right over to our therapist for some guidance. Mm-hmm. And she said, this is great. He's getting this out in a constructive, healthy way. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. That's what we thought, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not at all what I thought I no, was horrified. No, that's not, that's not what we thought. <laughs> and then we had to go back and tell the teacher, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good. Really yeah, okay. yeah, we think that's all right. But um, now his songs are much more. Uh, um, not all of them, but <laughs> they've got uh, more diverse messages than just uh, rage and pain and hate. True, and that was about the time that he watched the 2018 Grammys and had this idea of starting a music festival. And I remember he came to us and said, "Hey, I've got this idea." that uh, I could use my passion for music like Logic did, performing the 1-800-SUICIDE-PREVENTION-LIFELINE song at the Grammys, and I could do something to help other kids in our community who are struggling with mental health issues like I am. And we thought... Well, I think the first thing was, this is great. He wants Mm -hmm. to do something positive for mental health, and he's looking outside himself. Um, so that was one impression. The other impression was, you know, Will, as I mentioned earlier, he started a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. He always had a project and this sounded like yet another grandiose idea that wasn't going to be seen to fruition. Um, and so when we hear a music festival, 
and my first thought was, okay, we're going to set some cha- set up some chairs in the backyard and invite grandma over and he'll play a few songs and we'll call it a festival and it'll be great. Um, Will had bigger ideas than that, which was not uncommon, but he reached out to the school principal and this is a, a big school, you know, 1500 students and asked the principal if, you know, told him his idea about having a music festival to promote mental health awareness and suicide prevention. And the principal was, to his credit, was all over it. He loved it. And one thing led to another. And Will has the football stadium reserved uh, for a day in the summer to do a the first You Matter Festival. All this happened in concurrence with Will talking to us about making a school change. Again, that was an interesting timeline that he was asking the school that he was attending presently to back him on this all the while saying, Mom and Dad, this school is not working for me. I'm not around people who are life-giving. And we had seen this. He had started to kind of slip back down again, and we were concerned. Uh, The people he was hanging around were also kids who had mental health issues. And not that there's anything wrong with that, obviously, but he was trying to help fix them, and that was just bringing him down. And so the language that we used at that time and still use is, they were not life-giving. They were life-sucking. And he decided that the best way to break out of that was to make a school change. And we had already talked about it, but we were afraid that if we forced a change, then that could completely backfire. You were more on board with it than I was. I was really worried. My thoughts were... He's either going to be really mad at us for suggesting a school change and we would you know, lose a lot of ground in the, in the uh, uh, progress we had made with him, or he would go to a new school and just find the other exiles that had shown up at whatever private school we sent him to, and they would just band together and we'd be in the same boat that he had just left. And so I was, I think I knew it was the right thing but I was really worried about how it could backfire. So when he, so when he came to us and brought it up, I mean, we were high fiving each other. That <laughs> thank God he has come to the kind of the same conclusion that we had been stewing over. Um, and you know, as it turned out, that was one of the best things we did for him in, in those in those couple of years. Absolutely. It's now summertime. Will's making a school change. He's decided on the school that he's going to attend. And the first annual You Matter Festival is about to happen. And at this time, I shared with my very closest friends what was going on. And it took me a long time to spill the tea to, to them. And those closest to me knew something was wrong. But... I just was so avoidant because I still felt like such a failure as a mom. And Will is planning this music festival, and part of his idea for the night was that he was going to tell his story. And I remember talking about that, Dan, that 
I very vividly remember standing in our bathroom saying, what do you think about him telling whoever's there? I mean, we had no idea how many people would be there, but he's just going to stand up there and tell everybody all this stuff. How do you feel about that? Do you remember that day? I Boy, I do. I don't remember that specifically. I mean, I kind of remember talking about it. I don't remember it in the detail you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold, the week before this You Matter Festival happens, all of a sudden the media gets a hold of it. And they're calling and they're interviewing him. And, and this is all becoming very public. And we had a meeting around that time as well. Will and I did with a, a family. Um, he was asking to help support the You Matter Festival. And that was the pivotal moment for me when I had the light bulb go off in my head that what that family wouldn't be doing to be sitting in my shoes because their foundation exists because they lost their son to suicide. And all of a sudden, I didn't care anymore about what people thought and what, you know, if people judged me for being a bad mom or whatever, I didn't really care. But it took all of that for me to get to that point. I mean, this is over a year later after it all started. And Will got up to a thousand person crowd that night in August and talked about all of his struggles, the cutting, the suicidal ideation, the anxiety. And I remember I went and stood at the top of the stadium by myself because I didn't want to be around anybody when he talked about it because it was still really raw at this point. What do you remember about that night? Wow, it's such a blur. Um, I can remember leading up to it. Um, you know, we had started to tell some friends and family about it, but I don't think I had been very forthright with with my mother about what was going on, and I felt like I had to kind of fill her in. Um, a little bit before that night, knowing that he was going to speak. And I can remember afterwards, she said, Oh my gosh, I, I had no idea he was hurting so much. I feel so badly that, that I, you know, that I didn't know. And then I couldn't help. And I said, well, we, we've all gone through that of, we feel so badly that we didn't know and we couldn't help. And, um, you know, the point of this is not to, to convict people of of missing things as much as it is to to raise awareness so more people talk about it and uh, you know that's that's why we're sitting here today doing this is you know mostly because of the courage of our son uh, Susie I don't think you and I ever had plans to uh, do something like this this was really in Not- response. In a million years, <laughs> this, you know, it was his courage and his desire to, to, um, you know, try to help other people that that kind of thrust us, thrust you in particular, into this limelight. I was starting to research and looking into pretty seriously 
starting my own business in a, in a completely different field. And then Will came forward with his mental health problems and that all got completely shut down. And then he starts the You Matter Festival, which was wildly successful. And he became a teen spokesperson for mental health awareness and suicide prevention because he was so willing to share his story. And I believe that people are inspired by his story and our story because it is a hopeful story. It shows that you can get better with the right professional help. It's not, oh, we got him some medicine and he went to therapy three times and now he's all fixed by any stretch. No, (laughs) ma'am. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but but just how pivotal the You Matter Festival was into leading where we are sitting right now, where I am doing a podcast called Just a Mom. Thank you, Will. Thanks for listening to episode two of Just a Mom. This conversation was pretty long, so it's broken into two episodes. Make sure and listen to episode three for the conclusion of my conversation with Dan about our experience parenting a child with mental illness. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.